Good morning. Let's go to the Lord in a time of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we praise you for this Sunday morning that we get to open up your word. Father, I pray for wisdom. I pray that we would have eyes to see and ears to hear. We are a weak people. Our minds stray. Uh, Father, these are awesome things to imagine, wondering in the midst of our culture when we feel like exiles, much like uh, the people of Israel would feel under Babylonian rule. Father, we pray for your peace. Uh, we pray for this time that we are together here now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We'll look a little more closely at uh, <clears throat> Daniel chapter 2. Sorry if I cough a little bit. Uh, I got a, one of those late night calls leaving Bible study on Tuesday night from somebody. I will remain nameless. I'm not going to call out saying, ah, yeah, I'm supposed to preach, but I can't preach, so will you preach? And so since I like to over-obligate myself, I said, sure. Uh, but then woke up yesterday with a very hoarse throat and lots of signage drainage, so we're going to get through this together. Oh, so, but I will not read the entire passage of Daniel 2 partially because of that. But I was thinking about as I was reading through Daniel 2, and as you saw in the video, this this image of the king's dream. And I was like, well, you need to have a, a funny opening illustration that would, you know, wake everybody up, make them laugh a little bit. And, and so I was like, what kind of dreams have I ever really had? Because I usually kind of forget my dreams. It's like I wake up and they're there for a moment and I don't write anything down and then I just forget them all. So I was thinking about, you know, when, when have I really been just weighted down by any kind of dreams? And I was thinking back to my freshman year in college, I would often wake up in a sweat uh, because I was having these series of dreams that related to the work that I was doing because I was doing a lot of monotonous, repetitious kind of, of work. And, and, and so I would be working these 12, 14-hour retail shifts, have to get in at 8 o'clock, and you leave at 10 o'clock. And, and even in college, I would do this for three, four days straight. And, and so I'd wake up in the middle of the night doing what I was doing for work with my hands. Like I'd wake up, my hands would be up here. I'm like, oh! I got to get back to work in three hours, and I've been working all night in my dreams. My job, of course, was a photographer at Glamour Shots, and so my dreams were filled of wrapping ladies in feather boas and uh, these little silky sheets that were supposed to look like formal dresses. I know my wife is always afraid about what kind of personal stories that I would share, but uh, I, I'm a little bit more self-conscious about sharing than I used to work at Glamour Shots. For you young kids, don't Google it. Just let your parents explain. Who knows what would show up. But here, this is the king's dream. It's a little bit different, and I will just summarize the king's dream in chapter 2, 1 through 18. And at the beginning of the chapter 2, we read about King Nebuchadnezzar and how he had troubling and terrifying vision. And it troubled his spirit, it says there at the beginning of the chapter. So much so that he ordered all the wise men of Babylon, the magicians and the sorcerers, to come around and say, please, you must be able to interpret my dream. But he added this caveat because they're like, oh, sure, we can interpret your dream. Tell us the dream. And the king's like, uh-uh. I don't want just you to tell me what the dream's about. You need to also be able to tell me what my dream is. And that way, I'm going to know that you truly have some kind of miraculous, correct and truthful interpretation of my dream. And they were like, we can't do that. No one on earth could possibly 
interpret somebody else's dream and actually know what they were dreaming. Nobody has access under heaven into somebody else's mind. And so the king ordered that all these wise men of Babylon be put to death, which would have included Daniel and his friends that we started talking about last week um, who were being held captive. And so the king's captain came and put Daniel to his, came to Daniel and to his friends wanting to put them to death. And Daniel's like, hey, wait a minute, what's going on? Why, why is the king in such a rush? Why, what's all this excitement about? And the captain of the guard tells Daniel everything that's about to happen and why it's happening. And, and Daniel's like, okay, give me a second. Let me have just a moment, maybe this evening, that I might be able to be granted wisdom to understand and interpret the king's dream. And so Daniel goes to his friends. As any faithful one of God will go, he goes to his friends, he tells them the situation, and they plead with God for his mercy. You know, he doesn't rationally, he doesn't figure out some kind of scheme, okay, how do we get out of here? You know, he doesn't figure out the fast track, let's, do we got enough provisions to sneak out of town? No, he pleads for God for his mercy, and in the midst of the night, God grants uh, his plea, his prayer. And Daniel responds uh, in verse uh, 19 through 23 of chapter 2. And then a mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision at night. Then Daniel blessed God of heaven. And Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes the times and the season. He rules the kings and he sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals the deep and hidden things. He knows what is in darkness, and light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and might, and have now made known to me what was asked of you, for you have made known the king's matter. And so then Daniel goes and comes before the king, and Daniel gets an audience before the king, and there in verse 27, and Daniel answered the king, no wise man or chanters or magicians or astrologers can show you the king's mystery that the king has asked, but there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to the king Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dreams and your vision lay on your head as you lay in bed are these. And then he gives the exact summary that the video showed us earlier of this king was having this vision of this bronze statue. And it's unclear from the text, and commentators will disagree, the, there's a chance that the king didn't quite remember all the details. He just kind of woke up terrified. Maybe some of you have dreams, and you wake up, and it was a hor horrible dream, and you weren't quite sure what it was. You kind of have some hints. Maybe sometimes when you wake up from dreams, it's more of a, a shadow, right? You can't remember all the details, but you know you were frightened or anxious. Right? And so the king knew something was going on. Maybe he knew most of the details, but we're not quite sure. But Daniel gives him the summary of this great statue and then tells him what this statue is about and tells him that the statue uh, um, <clears throat> refers to these kingdoms that the video showed us. The statue is the head being Babylon and then these other kingdoms that will be later be clarified. Um, and then the story continues here, verse 36. I promise I'm not a chain smoker, it's just the congestion. Um, <clears throat> this was the dream, now we will tell the king its interpretation. 
You, O king, the king of kings, to whom God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power and the might and the glory, and into whose hand he has given whatever they dwell, the children of men, the beasts of the field and the birds of heaven, making you rule over all of them. Now think about the, the power of the king of Babylon. Here he is, a great sovereign, majestic king with great warriors and great armies, and he controlled everything, and he wakes up in a, probably a sweat and a fear. Can you think about that? You, you think of men of great power that don't actually operate in a situation of fear. But he was waking up afraid, and Daniel reminds him of his great power as a king. Um, you are the head of gold. Now, here, here, this gets to be kind of bold. Just think about Daniel's position. I mean, basically, he's a captive coming before the king, and he's about to tell him, like, you're not the biggest deal in the world. You're going to get crushed at some point. Right? There, there's a lot of boldness that Daniel has in these coming verses. Another kingdom inferior to you shall rise up after you, and yet a third kingdom of bronze which shall rule over the earth. And then there shall be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things. And like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all of these. And as for you saw the feet and the toes, partly potter's clay and partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom. But some of the firmness of the iron shall be in it, just as you saw the iron mixed with soft clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly of iron and partly of clay, so is the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. As you saw the iron mixed with soft clay, <clears throat> so they hold together, just as iron does not mix with clay. And so the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break into pieces all of these kingdoms and bring them to an end. And it shall stand forever, just as you saw the stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and it broke to pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. A great God has made known to the king what will be after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation sure. Then the king Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face and paid homage to Daniel, and the command of the offering of incense be offered up. The king answered and said to Daniel, Truly, your God is the God of God and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal the mystery. Then the king gave to Daniel high honors and many gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and the chief perfect, perfect over the wise men of Babylon. And Daniel has made a request to the king and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel remained in the king's court. Now there's a lot of things that we could look at there and we could always get tied up and some of these interesting little details. Like we want to know for sure exactly who these four kingdoms are, and I'm just going to leave that to whoever's preaching Daniel 7. So we, they can set up those arguments, and we might be able to talk about it at a later point. But I'm not going to let that distract me because he's not made it clear in this passage. So we have to say, you know, what does this passage mean in this context? And what would it have meant for Daniel in his time, and the people of Israel in exile, and then what does it mean to us as the church? Because most of the time, very often, we feel like we are in exile. We live in a culture, in a place, even in the southern Bible Belt, where we feel we are in exile in a culture that does not like us, right? And we tend to respond in what? Fear. 
Fear is a big part of this passage. As a king wakes up in fear, as Daniel has, does not seem to have fear. And I think to myself how often I am afraid. Every one of us, I know, has some level of fear. We might want to call it anxiousness or, or whatever, doubts. But at the end of the line, every one of us has some measure of fear because we don't know about tomorrow. We operate, you know, our, our retirement and uh, think about our futures in the context of fear. Over the last week, I, uh, I'm late to the investment game. I know that's not a shock to those people that know me the longest, but... And, and usually, even whenever I actually had jobs where I kind of started some investing uh, accounts, I never actually looked at them because, you know, every quarter you get a statement and it's like, it is what it is. And, you know, you know Katrina, whenever she was working full time and put away for retirement and that stuff would still come in and go up and down, didn't really pay much attention to it. A few months ago, you know, I, I started this, this Acorn app. Anybody heard of the Acorn app? You know, it's a little micro-investing. Every time you use your debit card, it rounds it up and puts that money away. And every time you reach $5, it invests it for you. And the problem is it's an app on my phone, so I can sit there any day and just kind of look. And it's like, ooh, I'm $5 up. I'm $10. It's not very much money. You know, oh, I'm $40 up. Well, anybody that pays attention to investments knows that last week was a rough one. Last week was really rough. I'm down $40. It's a rough week. You know, I'm sure I'm down a lot more than that and all my other things, but I don't look at those. I look at the little micro investment that's just like, you know, it's almost like a game. I'm like, I'm down $40 and I'm afraid. Should I pull my money out? Should I respond really quickly? Should I respond really rashly? Right? This king never connects. Yeah, I see some giggles. Everybody else is like, yeah, I already pulled a bunch out because you're afraid. Right? Because we don't know what it's going to do in the future. Right? We don't know the future, and it scares us. And Nebuchadnezzar was scared of his dream. He was scared of the future. But we should not be afraid. Um, there's three kind of main points that I want to look at real briefly as we go through this passage. And I'm going to look at these three points in the, the context of the three main characters. Right? First, the character is the king. Right? He's the first one that shows up. He has this terrifying dream. He's a sovereign ruler over everything, but he's struck down with fear. And what's, what's interesting when we look at the passages, and, and I think even to myself, is when we're really afraid, sometimes we do crazy things. Right? That's when we don't always think. When we're afraid about what tomorrow is going to bring, we kind of respond sometimes rashly. Now, probably not as rashly as King Nebuchadnezzar. I don't know anybody in here that has desire to put an entire people to death. Anybody ever order any executions in the room? I don't think so. But King Nebuchadnezzar, that's exactly how he responds. He's like, if you can't do this, I'm done with all of you. You know, let's put all of you to death. Because he was afraid. Very often, we've got to realize that sometimes out of fear, we do crazy things whenever we're afraid or we're ignorant. And I use that ignorant in just the most technical of sense, whenever we don't have all the information. You know, instead of responding in peace and faithfulness. Daniel, the next character in the story, main character, shows a great faith, can sustain him, sustain him in the midst of great trials. 
In chapter 1, you saw it whenever his faithfulness to the Torah, he was not going to break the food law, so he stood his ground. Here he stands before a king who is ruler over all the known world and basically says, hey, you know, there's going to be kingdoms that come after you. And there's even going to be kingdoms that come after that. And you know what? Guess what? They're all going to be crushed and put to dust by my God. That's a tough dude. Right? That is a faithful dude. And as faithful doesn't mean he's trusting in something in a blind way. He's trusting in the faithfulness of a covenant Lord. He knows what the Lord God has promised. He knows that the Lord God has put him in the midst of this situation. And his trust, right, which is, is really the, the way we should understand the term faith, trust in his covenant God gives him the stability and the confidence to stand in the face of what seems to be in an impossible trial. And very often we wilt, right, at the first sign of any kind of confrontation. We wilt at compromise. You know, and that's what the book of Daniel, not just chapter 2, but the rest of the book of Daniel about is constantly about is do we have the trust in God to the point that we will not compromise his truth in the midst of whatever trials come about? Because I know each and every one, I know myself, a willingness to compromise um, in the midst of all these kingdoms. But who is the third great character in this passage? Who would you say is the third character that, that just infuses this whole chapter and of the passages I was able to read? It is, of course, God. God is the main, the third character in this, and he reveals something about what he is going to do. As the, the video alluded to, Genesis 1 and 2, Psalm 8. He added into that Genesis 12, 15, 17, 22. A covenant God that is going to redeem a world of a people that are created in his image, that are exercising dominion over a new creation. Right, a kingdom that will not end. He is building his kingdom and it will not be destroyed. And this is what we should focus on when we look at this passage. Right? We, we want to get tied up in the imagery and when will this happen and when will this happen and when will this happen. And if we do that, we will get lost and we won't see the majesty of our God who says, I am setting up my kingdom. It will crush all earthly kingdoms. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. But there will be a rock who will crush all earthly empires. Which there's many uh, passages in scripture that allude to this reality. Luke 20, 17 through 18. But he looked directly at them. This is Jesus speaking. What then is this that is written? The stone that the builder rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. When it falls on anyone, it will crush him. Now this kingdom that comes about in Jesus as Jesus begins to destroy the kingdoms of this world, even though it doesn't always feel that way, right? And, and, and theologians will always talk about this in the context of an already and not yet, 
And throughout the New Testament, you'll see passages that talk about the kingdom of God as being already here or about to be here, but yet it's not yet fully consummated, right? When we look around, we don't see, it does not look like this stone has come and crushed all the evil empires of the world, does it? Right? We feel like we're ever even more in the midst of persecution. But read here in Revelation 1, 5 through 8. Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of kings on the earth, to him who loves us and freed us from our sin by his blood, made us, what? A kingdom of priests to his God the Father. To him be the glory and dominion, right, forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him. Those who have pierced him and the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. And Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Revelation 5, 9 through 10 reminds us, and they sang a new song, worthy are you, speaking of Jesus, to take up the scroll and to open up the seals. For you were slain in your blood, you ransomed a people from God, for God, from every tribe, every language, every people every nation, and you have made them what? A kingdom of priests to our God, and they shall reign upon the earth. Hebrews 12 reminds us, 28, therefore let us be grateful for not receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Thus let us offer God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. We have received a kingdom, right? The book of Hebrews is talking about this. This has already happened. You've already received this kingdom. Revelation said, yes, in a sense, it's, it's still coming when Jesus comes in the clouds, but yet we have already received the kingdom, the book of Hebrews reminds us. Hebrews 1, but the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of unrighteousness is the scepter of what? Your kingdom. Colossians 1, he has delivered us from the dominion of darkness. He if you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ today, he has delivered you from a dominion, a kingdom of darkness, and transferred you into the kingdom of his beloved son. The kingdom is now. It is being built up by the church, and it will not fail. The kingdom is now, yet it is not yet. The stone has begun to crush the kingdoms, but the mountain has yet to fill the earth. Right, back, back to the, the, the illustration there at the beginning from the summary. It says that this mountain will fill the whole earth, which is an allusion to the fact that, that Jesus will crush all these kingdoms that stand up against the knowledge of God, and yet his church will begin small and grow and begin to fill the entire earth. We don't always see it today, but we know one day, as Philippians 2 reminds us, Therefore God has exactly, highly exalted him and bestowed upon him a name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee will bow in heaven and on earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of our Father. This kingdom is now, but the great consummation is yet. When King Jesus comes now and once again will rule a new heavens and a new earth, it will not be like before. It will not be like the garden. It will be perfect in every way, and there will be no more sin. But where is Jesus now as we await for him? Psalm 110 reminds us, right? Sit at my right hand, as the Psalm of David, 
the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make all your enemies a footstool. Since Jesus is ruling from heaven above, King of kings, Lord of lords, sitting at the right hand of God our Father, he is still king, awaiting for all the enemies of the earth to be put asunder. This is a, a promise that God will be faithful to his covenant. He told Abraham, you will be a father of a multitude of nations. That in you and through your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And sometimes it doesn't look that way in our daily experience. We're looking in our particular 2018 experience and we think it just doesn't look like God is doing that. And Daniel trusted the faithfulness of God saying, I know that my Lord and my God is in control. Therefore, I can have patience. I can have faithfulness to his word and trust in him because I know he does not lie. We need to be reminded of this every single day. The Lord your God does not lie. And if you stand in faithfulness, you know that your God will be faithful. Do you believe that this morning? Jesus reminds us in Revelation 1, and when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I died, and behold, I live forever. And I have the keys of the death of Hades. Jesus is king. If you trust in him, you, listen to this, Cross Creek Church. If you trust in Jesus, you are sons and daughters of the king. Do not fear. There is nothing to fear in this world as we trust in a God who is faithful. Fear not. Trust in a faithful God. Let's pray.